0: Good morning, everyone. Wasn't that a beautiful interlude there by Lucy? Thank you, Lucy. Yeah, can't you. you can't, can't hear you me? me? Okay, all right. <laughs> I was thanking Lucy for that beautiful interlude there we had at the beginning. What do you call that? Not an interlude. We didn't start anything yet. It's Pre- beautiful Prelude. music anyway. Prelude. Prelude.
1: Prelude. Prelude,
0: yeah, that, that makes it a lot more sense, <laughs> yeah. And I, I never claimed to be smart about music stuff, and there's a reason. Okay, let's sing together. Sing to the King. Feel free to stand with us if you like.
1: Sing to the King who is come. song declaring we belong to Jesus. He's our. Sing a song, a song declaring we belong to Jesus. He's all we need. Lift up a heart of praise. Sing now with voices raised to Jesus. Sing to the King. Come, let us sing a song song declaring we belong to Jesus. He's all we need. Lift up a heart of praise. Sing now with voices raised to Jesus. Sing to the
2: Good morning, Tucson Mountain. Good morning. Ooh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Couple of quick announcements. Jasper and Iris are taking a few days off. She's going to teach summer school, so uh, she's going to be busy. So we gave them little, little, little vacay days. Um, couple of announcements. Tomorrow, 9 to 1, Linda Baker's house, Linda and Danny Baker's house, parent time out kids for children 12 years old and to potty train. You know, I was reading this, and down at the bottom it says, Plenty of Water fun Bubbles, Water Guns, and Bible Stories. I was all set to go until I read that other part. <laughs> <clears throat> for those that are watching online or those that are here that are a little more comfortable wearing a mask or in a more smaller setting, 108 and 109 are still available. 108, masks are required, okay? That's just for everyone that needs that. Please remember, tomorrow is Memorial Day. Take a little time. Mem- memory, think about what those individuals, men and women that gave their lives for us to be able to come and sit here today to worship in a setting like this. Take a little time to remember them tomorrow. And the food bank, the food pantry, can no longer take egg cartons. It's in the bulletin, but don't bring your egg cartons anymore because the health department now says they can't use those. Can't, can't use Jew stuff. We got all kind of weird stuff happening. But just sort of keep, keep reading the bulletin for stuff like that because they're making changes all along, okay? All right. So let's pray, and we'll keep this going. Father God, we just commit this time to you this morning. We pray, Lord, that uh, as we sing and praise and honor you, that hearts would be touched and lives would be changed. We pray, Lord, as we look at your word today, and understand how we can apply it to our lives. It would strengthen us and encourage us to do what you want us to do as Christians and those who may not know you as Christ, as Savior, that they would just be drawn closer to you. And Lord, it'd be our heart's desire that they'd make that decision today. And Father, we just commit this time to you, and we thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen, now this next song, we're gonna sing America the Beautiful. If you If you've ever taken time to really look at it, read it, and think about it, it's not just a song about America. It's a prayer for America. It's a prayer for America, and we've been praying for America. Our countrymen have been praying for America for a long, long time, but we need to keep praying for America, even more now than ever, right? So as we sing this, sing it as a prayer to the Lord, and if you ever want to pray for America, this wouldn't be a bad guideline. Stand with us if you like. Right.
1: Oh, beautiful Spanish skies. Oh.
0: Oh, seated okay.
1: okay so so I'm,
0: I'm gonna try to sing God bless the USA and I've been singing it off and on for well 30 years or more and but I was just reading recently how uh, Lee Greenwood um, was just on a, a bus headed to Nashville in 83 I think it was. And uh, that the, the the Korean flight had just had just crashed, and uh, you know there was there was a up upswelling of, of uh, patriotic pride for in that case, and so he he wrote this song, "God Bless the USA," and it didn't really take off until really uh, the first uh, Iraq War, and then since since then. It's Try try to sing this, go ahead
1: Chris.
2: Start it
3: up. Our Father who art in heaven, today we remember those men and women who have died in service to our country. We pause to reflect on the lives sacrificed while protecting our freedoms. We confess that most days we are oblivious to the price paid by men and women in uniform, and yet we live every day in the freedom they laid down their lives to give us. So today, we recall the words of Jesus when he said, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And let us not forget that each life lost represents other lives that are left to pick up the pieces. We lift up widows and widowers, brothers and sisters, parents and children of the service men and women who fought valiantly for our country. We ask for your peace and comfort to never leave them. God, we thank you for the lives of these men and women. May their memory and their service never be forgotten. Amen.
2: Memorial Day is about remembrance. You know, one of the other things we need to remember today is the night before Jesus was going to the cross, he's in the upper room. And he's talking to those disciples about some of the most important things in life. And he's reminding them of some things. You know, if it were your last night that you knew you were going to be here on earth and you could have recorded what you were going to say so that all of Christendom could see it or hear it years later, what would you say? What would you be willing to say? You know, if we go back just a little bit, in John 13, Jesus talked about being a servant and how to love one another. And in John 14, which was sort of his last will and testament, you remember all those you will and I will statements he made? He said, I will do this and you will do this. I will send the Holy Spirit and you will love me and obey me. All those type of things. Today we're going to look at a continuation of that to a degree but today he's talking about healthy relationships and he's primarily focused on a healthy relationship with God the father so as we talk about that i want you to really think and expound in your mind we're going to be looking at it from a couple of different perspectives jesus had a satisfying word for this he called a satisfying for a satisfying and significant life he called it fruitful What does it really mean to be fruitful today? I think we need to think. You know, our relationship with Jesus can only be made possible if we stay with him, if we remain in him, if we abide with him. And he's going to tell us that repeatedly in these next few verses. We're only looking at 11 verses today, but there's a lot put in here. You know, regarding our relationship with one another, he challenges us to love one another. Regarding our relationship with the world, he challenges us to tell the world about him. And in our relationship with him, he says, remember that I love you, and because I love you, you should love me. So all these things are coming out today. Let's look at this first verse, John 15, 1. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Now, this is the 70th I am statement in John in just those first 15 verses, or first 15 chapters, rather. Think about this. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. As we look at that last one, we think, well, you know, that one's not as impressive as the others. I am the true vine. But I want you to think about this. Just like in America today, if we see an eagle That's symbolic of America. And in that day, the vine was symbolic of Israel. Every good Jew, if they saw a vine or heard about a vine, Jesus has given them that visual, verbal picture of Israel. You know, on the back of being coins, there was a vine. On Herod's temple, there was a vine, a huge vine. So all these things point back to them, to Israel. But he comes along and Jesus says this. He said, it's not about a nation. It's not in your lineage. He said, it's me. I am the vine. It's a person. And that person is me. But every time, if we really look at it and we go back and look at a lot of the Old Testament statements, every time we see Israel described as a vine, it's usually... The description usually fits more of a wild vine that's gone wrong. Look at Jeremiah 2.21 with me. It says, I planted you as a special vine, as a very good seed. How then did you turn into a wild vine that grows bad fruit? And in Hosea, he says, how prosperous Israel is. A luxurious vine filled with fruit. But the more wealth I gave her, the more she poured it in on the altars of the heathen gods. At the end of John 14, we saw it last week, Jesus says, Let's get up and leave here. And I want you to think about this. They're in the upper room. Jesus is saying, Let's get up and leave. Where are they going? They're going to the Garden of Gethsemane. And all of a sudden, they leave the room, they go down the steps. They have to probably walk through the city. They may have even had to pass the temple. They go out the gate towards the garden, and they're probably passing some vineyards. And I envision in my mind that's probably where he said, I am the vine. He's giving them that statement so that they'll understand the importance of who he is one last time before all the other things start to happen. He said, I'm the true vine i'm the source of real life he tells them repeatedly over and over again that'd be like someone walking into the courtroom and say i'm justice or maybe walking into a hospital and say i'm the great physician it's that kind of statement he wanted it to be extremely simple why did you think he needed it to be extremely simple well i believe it's because he knows our nature I think he understands that it needed to be astonishingly simple and clear in order for us to get it. We often miss the obvious. Now for some of you, don't say anything, you'll give away your age. For some of you, and it's still available online, I found out, hints from Heloise, you remember that? Hints from Heloise one time, she she was talking, it was around Thanksgiving time and she was giving out hints. Now today, it's called Hacks. Now, I'm I'm really starting to think about some of these verbal language adjustments that we're making over the years. You know, years ago, it was hints. Now it's hacks. When I think of hacks, I think of somebody taking a hatchet and whacking on something, you know. I don't know. It's becoming more aggressive. Maybe that's why we're having some of the problems we're having. But she said if you wanted to have a turkey and make it moist, you had to put a cup of water inside the cavity in the turkey. Well, that makes sense, right? But some lady wrote back and was madder than a hornet, and she said, you know what? The turkey was extremely moist, but the plastic cup the water was in melted and ruined the turkey. (laughs) (laughs) You know, some people miss the obvious, I'm telling you. Jesus knew he had to make things simple for us because we don't always get it. We sometimes miss things. There's three particular things that we have to remember right out of the gate this morning. If we're going to live the Christian life that God really intends us to live, there's three things we need to remember. We need to have an ongoing sense of fulfillment, a life of satisfaction and significance, and we can have that if we remember these three things. Verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 2 says this. God cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch in me that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So the very first thing we need to remember is I'm a branch. You are a branch. We're not the vine, and we're not the gardener. And he tells us a little bit more about that. You know, useful, fruitful people understand who they are. Think about that for a second. This is one of the primary keys to living the Christian life. He says, you know, Jesus says God is the gardener, and he is the vine. And we can't be the vine, and we can't be the gardener. The minute we start doing that, we take away the opportunity for us to fully understand and live the life that he wants us to live. You know, I've been reading recently about the vine in a study for this. And I I found out that grape vineyards, grape vines, the vineyards are probably one of the hardest and take the most constant care of any of the agricultural commodities. I'm not sure why that is, but they take a a lot of work. And it's a good comparison to who we are in regard to who God is. Think about this. God's the one who cares for us. God's the one who tends to us constantly to make sure we have what we need. The air that we breathe, the water that we drink, the food that we eat. He's constantly watching over us and caring for us. He's the gardener. Jesus said he is divine. You know, for his disciples, when he said he was divine and you are the branches... He's trying to make them understand that, it's again, it's not in their lineage. It's not their nation. It's not anything else. It's him. And he wants them to focus on that. He says, you can't find real life in this world without me. So he's going to encourage them to do some things. He said, you're the branch. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. As a branch, that means I have to stay attached to that vine. I must stay attached. I'm dependent for everything on the vine. All the life-giving resources. He says again, God cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch in me that does bear fruit, he trims, he cleans, he prunes. He makes sure that we can be even more fruitful. Jesus said, God wants to bear his fruit in this world through those branches. Guess what, folks? Those branches are us. He tells us repeatedly. He wants us to understand that. Now, it's not our place to figure out which shoots get cut off. That's the gardener's responsibility. If we're going to be fruitful, then when we're fruitful, we're satisfied. Think through this process a little bit. We can't try to prune ourselves. We need to allow God to do that. We need to leave that to the master gardener. We need to trust in him, even in the times when we're being pruned and we don't understand why, or how long we're being pruned. Because sometimes we can be pruned for a long time, it seems like. We're going to talk about that in a minute. There's a lot of talk about fruit in this passage. Let's think about this. You know, what is the fruit that he's really talking about? Is it joy? Is it love? Is it comfort? Is it compassion? It's all those things. But the real fruit he's targeting, the real fruit he wants us to understand is Christ-likeness. He says we need to be more like Christ in all we say, all we do, how we speak, how we act, how we think, how we serve, all of those things. He says we need to do that. When I'm more Christ-like in my attitude, actions, and thought process, then I am very much fruitful, much more fruitful in my desire. I have to allow him to impact my life. You guys have to allow him to impact your life if you're really going to be fruitful. You know, I can't become like Christ if I'm sitting around judging all the other branches. That becomes problematic. I can't become like Christ if I'm depending on myself to take care of the branch. He says that doesn't work either. So the second thing he says, and he reminds us of, is I will be pruned. As a Christian, I will be pruned. You're not getting out of it. Now, we're not inanimate objects. And since we are living, breathing, thinking human beings... We need to sort of understand the process of this pruning. And he tells us, if I don't understand the process of pruning, I'm going to be confused and confounded for the rest of my life because it's going to frustrate me. So he wants us to completely understand it. Sometimes it looks like God is doing things in our life. We're doing all this great growing. And then all of a sudden, he comes along and snip. He cuts off some of those buds. And we're thinking, "Wait, God, why are you doing that? Don't you see the fruit that's coming out of here? Don't you see what's happening?" Well, we wonder why God is doing this to us, but he says, "You know what? I need to, you need to first understand why I'm pruning you." So, A is pruning is unavoidable and it's necessary. Unavoidable and necessary. You're not going to get great fruit out of a vine and a branch without pruning he says to qualify for pruning i must be bearing fruit to begin with to even qualify for that it's very first thing we have to remember it's all about christ's likeness you know in my life and in your life every day in every way it's all about christ's likeness because that's going to take care of everything else I read recently that at many times in vineyards, they will cut as much as 90 to 95% of the branches off of the vine. And I thought, wow, that seems extreme. So if we, if we relate this to that, we need to think about this. God, are you pruning me too much? Isn't that sometimes how we feel? we get to looking around at all the other branches and you're thinking, hey, God, I'm getting pruned way more than this guy over here. How come you aren't pruning on him some? You know, but he says, no. He said, you're the one I'm working on right now. He brings us to that point. So we need to ask our question when we think about that. If when we're being pruned, that's going to make us more fruitful, my thought and the question you need to ask yourself is what kind of growth is God preparing me for next? He's bringing us to a place, and He's pruning us to prepare us for something else. And sometimes we forget that. He's doing it not as a punishment. He's simply doing it as a pruning. He's preparing us for the next step. You know, Horticulture Magazine states this, mature grapevines need yearly pruning to produce large clusters of sweet, delicious grapes. It repeatedly addresses one specific thing, removing dead wood. Now, pruning has to happen in our life. We understand that. We also need to have the dead wood removed from our life. You know, it goes on to say that if you are unsure what part is dead, cut the branch and examine its center. So my question for us this morning is, what's at the center of our life? What dead wood do we need to get rid of? He goes on to say, if the vine has exceptionally good growth, you may leave a few of the really good buds. On the other hand, if the vine is weak and spindly, prune it back even further. And I believe that's probably how God works with us. If he looks at the center of our life and we have a bunch of deadwood there that he needs to get rid of, he'll cut us back even further. Some of you may be sitting there and thinking, well, you know, I just, I just won't be too fruitful and maybe God won't prune you back too far. <laughs> if you read this article, it's not going to work that way. He says there's, there's, there's a reason for God pruning us. B, there's only one reason God prunes us, and he tells us. It's to get the most fruit out of that particular branch that he can. It's not punishment. It's pruning. It's to prepare us for the next thing. Listen, if my goal is a branch, let's think about this from the perspective of the branch for a little bit. If my goal as the branch is to just put out some really good-looking buds and to be able to get some nice-looking grapes going, and it's all about how everything looks, then when I get pruned, I'm going to be frustrated. Because God has just come along and lopped off. The gardener's just come along and lopped off those things that I value so highly in my life. Pride gets in there a little bit. So he says, you know, we're not going to allow that. God says his fruitfulness in our life, his goal in our life, is that fruitfulness in my life. And he says the only way to get that, becoming more Christ-like, becoming more... Uh, Acting more like Christ Serving more like Christ All those things we talked about a minute ago Is to understand pruning How it happens and why it happens God's not so much interested in how we look And basically what we've accomplished He's more interested in what we are to become And sometimes we forget that See Pruning hurts. Pruning hurts. You know, you grow into one of those great-looking branches with all those offshoots and all those grapes, and everything's there, and all of a sudden, snip. God says, you know what? Got to take some of this away. You've got some dead wood in your life. We have to remove that. It's very humble. It's very humbling to be pruned. We don't always like it. We don't always enjoy it but it's necessary. The branch is, you know, again, think of this from the perspective of the, of the branch. Maybe we spent all year producing fruit. Maybe we spent two or three years developing all these grape clusters and all these other things, and all of a sudden God comes along and cuts them all off. And we're going, why, God? Don't you see what I'm producing? And he says, but I got even greater things for your produce." He says there's a time in your life when that's going to come. It's the only process. Pruning is by the only process that we can grow. And we often struggle with that. I'm interested, God says, in making you more like Christ, more like my son than anything else. D, there's no pruning without pain. It's going to hurt, but there's going to be pain. It, but in the midst of that pa- pain, there's the promise of more fruit. We have to remember that. You know, I've, I've read in this horticulture magazine again that grapevines in the summertime, they really look nice. There's a lot of leaves, there's grapes on them, but in the fall... They really look wonderful because everything starts to turn colors and the grapes start to ripen and everything's really just gorgeous. They have luxurious leaves. But you know what? In the last part of winter, just before springtime comes, and they go through and they prune all those things, after the pruning, they just look like a bunch of dead sticks. Some of you may be sitting here this morning and you're thinking, you know what? I've been pruned. I'm a bunch of dead sticks right now. I feel like I'm nothing but a dead stick. And God says, no, you're not. He says, you have worth, you have value. I just had to prune some things out of your life to get you to the point where you could bear more fruit. He tells us over and over again. Verse 3, you are clean. You are already clean. That's the same exact word for pruning out of the Greek. Because of the word I have spoken to you. Listen, one of the great ways that God prunes us is through His Word. We read His Word, we understand His Word, and we say, you know what, I need to make this change in my life. We become convicted. We understand what it is we need to do differently to draw closer to him. So he prunes us through his word. Another great tool he uses is life struggles. Now, I'm not talking about just the daily inconveniences like a flat tire. I'm talking about the the inconveniences in life, the struggles in life, where you get down in the mud and muck of life, and it's a real struggle to take the next step. He prunes us through those circumstances also. And then thirdly, you know, we have to remember that God prunes us back in our relationships. There's times in our relationships when those relationships are tense. They're hard, they're difficult. If you could, if you could choose the tool that God pruned you with, which tool would it be? I'm gonna tell you mine, it'd be through his word. Because if if I can read something in his word and I can understand what it is and God can prune my heart and get me to change my life just by reading and understanding his word, then it's a whole lot less stressful on me than going through those life struggles or having my relationships in crisis. So if it's his word for you, then why aren't we reading his word more? Why aren't we applying his word more? Why aren't we doing what his word tells us to do? More. That's how we become more Christ like. He encourages us to do that. He tells us in advance that His Word can make all the difference in our lives if we'll simply apply it. I would much rather have Him give me course corrections and make me more fruitful through His Word than having all those heavy, difficult circumstances in life, rough relationships, and other things that I really. Don't enjoy going through like I do his word. Number three, I must abide in Jesus Christ. I must abide. Now, this word abide appears 11 times in these first 11 verses of chapter 15. Either abide, remain, or stay. It's all the same basic word. Abide in me. Remain in me. Trust in me. The definition of abide is this. It is to stay at the place where you are. Remain. Let me give you a little more personal concept of that, a little more personal definition, if you would. Jesus says, "Stay one hundred percent attached to me." You know, some people act like abiding is a real difficult and complicated thing. It's not. It doesn't have to be. I'm the. Jesus said, "I'm the vine." You're the branch, God is the gardener, we've got all the bases covered, all you have to do is stay attached. How long, when you cut that branch off of that vine, does that branch live? It's done. When you cut that branch free, it's done. Unless you reroute it, rework it, redo all the other stuff in gardening, it's, it's, it's not going to live anymore. So let's think about this for a second. Verse 4 says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Listen, to remain in him is both active and passive. We need to remember this. To remain in him, to abide in him, my abiding in him, That's passive on my part. But for me to remain in him, that's active on my part. He says you have to have both. It's both active and passive. It takes discipline in my life to abide in him, and it takes me having dependence on him to do his part for him to abide in me. So it's both. You wouldn't believe how many people want to make it one or the other. Let's think. How many of you have said at one point or another, I just need to discipline myself more. I need to read my Bible more. I need to go to more Bible studies. I need to do this and this and this. But you're not really leaning on him. You stopped reading his word as much as you should. You stopped praying and asking and listening for the response as much as you should. See, you've got one part, you've got the discipline part down, but you forget the dependence on God part. We often do that. We need to stay 100% attached to him. Verse 5 says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Hmm. It takes discipline in my life and dependence on Jesus for all this to take place. Some of you may be sitting there thinking, well, I'm too disciplined. I've become too legalistic. All I need to do is love Jesus, and everything else will be okay. So you've went to the other side of the coin. Now it's not total discipline. It's total dependence on God. Let's think. I'll just depend on God, lean on his word, and pray, and everything will be okay. Well, remember, it takes both the active and the passive. Let's say, envision this for a second. Let's say God gives you the car. The power in the car is the engine. And you, uh, you get in the car, you got the engine, you got the power, And on the floorboard, you got a little thing called a gas pedal. You have to press the gas pedal to make the car go. I don't care what you do. If you don't give it gas, it's not going anywhere. God tells us in our life, listen, you have the power. You have the opportunity. All I'm asking you to do is one simple thing. Press the gas pedal. And we say, well, I don't know. You know... A lot of times if we get this discipline thing stuck in our head, what we're actually doing is we're putting the car in park, getting out, turning it off, and trying to push the car through our own strength. We're saying, nope, I'll power the car myself. I'll take care of it, Lord. I'll do it. So we don't want to do the discipline. All we want to do is discipline, discipline, discipline. But... If we, there's other side that says, you know what, I've got the car, I've got the engine, but I see the gas pedal, the engine's running, but I'm not, I'm not stepping on that pedal. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to move the car. If God wants this car to move, he's going to have to move it. See, sometimes in our lives we get stuck in that mindset And we say, you know what? I understand it's either discipline or dependence, but allowing both of them to work in our life becomes an issue. And we have to be very, very careful of that. He says, remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Listen, he doesn't ask us for much. He gives us the power. He gives us the opportunity. He says, all you got to do is step on the gas. He says, talk to me, make me a part of your life every day, lean on me, depend on me, pray to me, thank me for what I'll give you. He says, just make me a part of your life. A small thing, push on the pedal. Jesus, the night before he died, emphasized this with the disciples. If we really think about this. You know, we could spend the rest of our lives trying to push that car around. Or either we could get in and enjoy the ride and just simply press the pedal. It's our choice. He says, abide in me. Jesus said, I am in you. It's not an empty life. It's a full life. He gives us that opportunity. You can't bear fruit unless you are abiding in Jesus. You can't even be connected to fruit unless you're abiding in Jesus. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's think. If you don't remain in Christ, if you don't abide in Christ, you're like a useless branch. What happens with useless branches? You know, it's not very good. You can be that useless branch, and all of life becomes a burdensome process. We have to be very, very careful of that. He's talking about change that lasts. When we abide in him, he gives us life change that lasts. He gives us fruit that lasts. He gives us opportunity to do things that last. That's what he's talking about by abiding and and doing something rather than doing nothing. Philippians 4.13 says, through Christ we can do all things. Listen, a branch that is not bearing fruit it's not good for anything. It gets cut off and it gets thrown into the fire. Now, when we see that, let's look at verse 15, 6. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, when you, read, when you first read that, what's the first thing you think of? Hell, right? Does it say that? No. Word of caution here. Think. He doesn't say that the branch that's pruned or cut off is thrown into the fire of hell. He said it's cut off. It's useless. If you're useless, why would he leave you here? Process for a second. It's much like the same picture he gave us of the Sermon on the Mount. He said on the Sermon on the Mount... You were the salt of the earth. If you lose your salty taste, you can't be made salty again. You're good for nothing except to be thrown out and walked on. He said, you're useless on this earth. He said, you're not serving the purpose that I have brought you here to serve. But he doesn't say you were cast into hell in either one of those verses. You know, it's very, very possible that those original branches that were cast into the fire, were never true believers to begin with. There's two ways to look at this. That's one. And the other one is that just like the salt, you're not worth anything except to be trampled on and walked on. We need to remember, genuine salvation is evidenced by a life of fruitfulness. Now, that just doesn't mean you're going out here and you're talking to every fence post that stands still and tells them about Jesus. That means fruitfulness in your life. That means you are telling others about Jesus. That means you're engaged in what Jesus wants you to be engaged in. He's giving us that. Our job in this world is to abide in the vine, to remain, to stay attached 100%, not 50%, 100%. We can bear fruit in this world so we can make a difference in this world. He can make a difference in this world through us. He tells us that. You know, he's saying that you can only season our salt. We can only season the world if we'll allow our light to shine and be like him. That's the message he's giving us. He goes on and he tells us three specific things, three examples of what's able to take place when we abide in him. Look at verses 7 through 9 with me. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As my Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. This is a a visual, practical outgrowth of fruitfulness in our life. He says, I'm going I'm to show you what it is. I'm going to give you that visual picture. So number four, his words abide in me. Now, what does that mean? When Jesus said that he let his words abide in us, he's promising for us and him to come to life together. It's very important we understand this. That's, when that takes place, some exciting things are going to happen. Our prayers and his promises are completely linked together in scripture when we understand what the promises of god are and we take those promises and we apply them to our heart and we understand those promises then we begin to pray prayers that will inevitably be answered and the reason that is is because we're praying in his will we're not praying in our will anymore but that is an ongoing process Do you take the time to write down your prayer request to God? Do you take the time to write down those prayer requests and then when God answers those prayers, do you write that down and say, look, God, I prayed to you for this and look at the answer you gave me. It may be a month later, it may be six months later. It really doesn't matter. But we all need a place that we can journal those prayers so that we can remember what God is giving us. And the good gifts and good things that he answers our prayers with because we're short-minded we forget that's unfortunate but it's true that tells me i need to do a better job at remembering what god has done in my life and the prayers that he's answered verse 10 says this if you obey my commands you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my father's commands and so remain in his love. Number five says, I will abide in Jesus' love. I will abide in Jesus' love. How do I stay attached to Jesus and his love all my life, every day of my life? Listen, when things get rough and tough at work or they get tough at home or one of your kids comes in and just tells you something that breaks your heart, He says, you know what? Jesus gives us the answer in verse 10. He says, abide in my love and obey the Father as I have obeyed him. He gives us the example. How do I stay attached to Jesus? Jesus says simply, obey me as I have obeyed the Father. It's pretty simple. God says, here's the example. Here's the example that's been set. All you have to do is follow. Jesus obeyed because he loved the Father. Jesus obeyed the Father because there was an ultimate trust between the two of them. There should be an ultimate trust between us and Jesus. We need to take that and put that in our hearts and our minds and our souls and remember that all the time. We need to make a lifetime of the study of how God, uh, how Jesus obeyed God. That will help us understand. Verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. You know, when I, when I read that, I, I, every time I read that, I, I, I really scratch my head because it was, it was sort of disconcerting to me. I'm thinking, what kind of joy does Jesus have going to the cross? Because it's in this context. But then the more I read, the deeper I look at it, Jesus knew he was going to suffer a painful death. Jesus knew he was going to be physically tortured, emotionally tortured, spiritually tortured. But yet he says, my joy, may my joy be in you. What kind of joy is he talking about? He looks at his disciples and he says that. We go back over to Hebrews 12, 2, and it even says this. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him and endured the cross, scorning that shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus went to the cross not thinking about the punishment that he was going to endure. Jesus went to the cross thinking about the joy of you and me, having him. He went. To the cross thinking about the joy of changed lives. He went to the cross thinking about the joy of salvation of all those people that were going to be able to come to him after that experience was over. The joy of eternity together in heaven with Jesus and all his followers. That's the joy he was talking about. The joy of him sitting again at the right hand of the Father. Jesus said, I want you to have that quality of joy. I want you to be able to enjoy the time that you spend with one another here on earth. But I also want you to enjoy and have joy in the time that you're going to eventually spend with me. Listen, there's a lot of people in the world today that (laughs) they lack joy. There's a lot of people that are trying to fake it till they make it type thing with joy. Jesus said, I want you to have the genuine joy in your heart of knowing me, abiding in me, and following me. No matter what happens, that joy comes to us as we draw closer to Jesus and we understand the security and stability that he gives us. He shares that with us and he tells us that. Listen, (laughs) the one who knows us best loves us the most. That's absolutely true. He said, I want you to have the kind of joy that I have. I want you to have the joy, and I want it to make you complete. Who in the world would want just partial joy or an incomplete joy? Why would I settle for that in my life? You know, joy is not attached to our circumstances. We can have joy when tears are streaming down our face. We can have joy in some of the most difficult circumstances in life. That's the type of joy Jesus wants us to understand and have. You know, Dr. J used to say happiness was a happening thing. Happiness is not the absolute same thing as joy. Happiness is based on current circumstances. When you go to Disneyland, that may be the happiest place on earth while you're there. (laughs) But when you leave, that happiness is gone. Or you may be getting this big chocolate cake for your birthday. And you may be down to the last third of it and think, I'm going to have me a slice of that cake. And you sit there and eat the whole thing. And you think, why did I eat the whole thing? Your joy, your happiness is only there while you're eating that cake. The minute it's gone and you've ate too much, then you're not very happy. But joy is different. And God says he'll give us that joy. If we simply lean on him and listen to him. Listen, how long is joy going to last? Joy is going to last forever. Joy is going to last as long as Jesus lasts. And that's forever. Philippians 4.4 says, Be joyful in the Lord always. Again I say, be full of joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. He tells us that. Listen, I want you to do something tomorrow morning. That joy is one of the fruits of abiding in Christ. But tomorrow morning, I want you to get up. I want you to go in your bathroom, close your door. Don't let your spouse or a neighbor or anything hear. And this is what I want you to say. Close the door, look in the mirror, and say, I am a branch. I am not the gardener. I am not the vine. And because of that, I'm going to make absolutely sure that I'm not going to spend time worrying and judging about others. I'm not going to worry about what buds or shoots need to be cut off of this branch. I'm the branch. My job is simply to abide in Jesus. That's all you have to do. Let's pray. Father, we understand that we are the branch. We just simply want to stay attached to you and depend on you. And we do that staying attached, staying alive by allowing the Holy Spirit to live in us. If there's anyone here today that doesn't understand that or know that, I pray that you would touch the consciousness of their mind and their heart today. And draw them closer to you. Father, sometimes we can make things so complicated. It's not, it's simple. But just because it's simple doesn't mean it's always easy to make those decisions in life that we need to make. We need to stay attached to you. We face a lot of temptations a lot of circumstances in life, a lot of turmoil in life, especially right now as we look around this crazy world we live in. And I pray that you would calm Christians' hearts, calm those hearts today that know you. Give them the assurance that they need to understand as they abide in you, they stay attached to you, that you would give them the calmness. We talked last week about calming our troubled hearts. I pray that you would do that with each one of us today. Strengthen us and encourage us to be willing to talk to others about you, to tell them who you are. Father, I know that some of us don't always spend the time we need to with you. To read your word, to listen to you, to pray to you, to listen to your answer to our prayers. I pray that you would help each one of us do that. The way we should each and every day. Because that's the way we abide in you. That's the way we stay in you. And you stay in us. Remind us that you're always there to help us. As a believer. And if there's not. If there's people here today that are not believers. That you would just touch their hearts and draw them to you today. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your savior. And your Lord we encourage you to do that today just come to the front we'll talk to you We we'll explain to you what that means during this time this is the time and opportunity for you to do that if you have made that decision and you've never been baptized through immersion like Jesus was and you'd like to do that this is an opportunity to do that also to let us know and we'll make arrangements to have that done and father if there's individuals here that maybe they've been coming as a regular tender for a while, maybe they've um, been looking at other churches, and they, they believe now that this may be a place that they can serve and be part of our, our particular family, we pray, Lord, that you'd encourage them to do that today. Whatever you need to pray today, whatever you need to do today in the lives of these people, I pray that you would do it. And they would be willing to follow your leadership today. And we simply ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you can and would stand, please. Just
1: as I am
2: Church offices will be closed tomorrow, building will be closed. Um, I understand that the deacons are working with several individuals and getting ready to vet them to come on to the pastor search committee and talk to them about the responsibilities and the duties in that. So be praying for that. Also, um, with that component being closer to being done, the next year's budget is almost completed this year and next year's budget is almost completed, and the leadership enlistment team is finished with all their particular work. I wanted to give you guys just an update. Soon, prayerfully, within the next month or so, we should be able to have a church meeting and put all those, install all those individuals into their particular positions and get things rolling for pastor search committee that I know you guys have been waiting for, and also to get um, those new leaders and things it in for the leadership for the next year and a half. I've asked them to do it for a year and a half so that we don't have to turn around and do it again right away. Okay? And to also get the church budget in front of you guys for the next year and a half. It'll probably be two parts. It'll probably be the last for the rest of this year and then for all of next year. Okay? Glenn Harris and the stewardship team is working on that. So it'll probably be two separate parts, one for the remainder of this year and one for all of next year so that they don't have to turn around and go right back to the drawing board and do all this stuff again, okay? So be, be in prayer about all those things. They're getting much closer. Hopefully, we'll be able to have a meeting soon and get all that resolved and go on down the road some, okay? Thank you guys for coming. I hope you had something and we were able to take something to heart today. We love you and appreciate every one of you, especially you guys. You did a wonderful job. Thank today. You, thank you. Great.
0: We want to thank God that Art Robertson is back with us this morning. How you doing, Art? Good. So glad to see you. We've been praying for you. Let's sing together, Majesty.